0: Well, hey, good morning. It's great to see all of you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm part of our uh, preaching team. And uh, I've got a couple uh, daughters that are off at that, uh, those different winter camps. And one of them uh, got something really funny, kind of headed into camp this week. Uh, my oldest, who's 15, uh, she was all excited because uh, the other night somebody gave her a WWJD bracelet. And uh, she actually sent me this picture of her wearing the, you know, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I said, you know, Abby, uh, I had one of those when I was in high school. Are you sure that that's still something you're excited about? And she goes, yeah, Dad, that means it's vintage. It's vintage. Okay, all right. But uh, Christians, and even non-Christians, often ask what Jesus would do. A lot of times non-Christians ask it in like a, hey, are you sure Jesus would do that thing you're doing? Uh, Sometimes as Christians, we ask it as a way to help make our decisions. What would Jesus do? Um, But let me ask you this. Have you ever considered WWJP? What would Jesus pray? What would Jesus pray? Well, that's what we have in John chapter 17. Some people have called this the other Lord's Prayer. Uh, The Lord's Prayer is uh, the place where the disciples say, hey, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he says, yes, here's how you pray, our Father who art in heaven, and and off you go. That's uh, known as the Lord's Prayer. This you could call the other Lord's Prayer because in it, in John chapter 17, what we have is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And it tells us, WWJP, what would Jesus pray? And not just what would Jesus pray, but what did he pray? And we saw last week that the first thing he prayed for was that he would be glorified, that he would be lifted up, that he would be exalted, that the glory that he had with the Father before the world began, that as he goes to the cross, is exalted on the cross, then is buried and then is exalted out of the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he would be restored to the glory that he had with the Father before time began. So that's what we looked at last week. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus prays for the church, that Jesus actually prayed for those who would come to faith through his 12 disciples. But here, what we're looking at is his prayer for the disciples. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus says this, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. What's interesting is Jesus here isn't praying for the world, but his prayer is going to benefit the world. Because what he's doing is he's praying for his disciples, those who are closely following him, and therefore, by extension. He's praying for us. That's why we've titled today's sermon, what, uh, How Jesus Prays for Us. How does Jesus pray for us? Now, what's interesting is you look at this prayer is that this prayer makes a lot of sense when you look at the last few chapters leading up to it. So in, in John 13 through 16, it's known as the Upper Room Discourse. It's that place where Jesus is preparing his disciples that he's about to go to the cross. And in chapters 13 through 16, he's preparing them for their mission to the world. He's telling them, listen, it's going to be tough out there. I'm going to need to send you my spirit. He's going to be your helper. He's going to be your guide. You're going to need to abide in me because you're going to be persecuted. Things are going to be tough tough. And in chapters 13 through 16, he mentions the world 22 times. So Jesus is praying or is is preparing his disciples to go into the world. Now here's what's interesting, in chapter 17, this longest recorded prayer of Jesus, he mentions the world in this chapter alone 18 times. So this makes sense, actually, because if if Jesus had so much on his heart that he had to prepare his disciples to go into the world and be his faithful witnesses in a world that was not necessarily aligned with him, then it makes sense that he would then have to pray for that. So Jesus is praying here for his disciples. He's praying for us in light of our mission to the world. We often pray, if you think about this, don't we? We often pray as if the main goal is comfort and ease. That's what fills our prayers, is praying for ourselves and praying for others, things that would lead them to comfort and ease. Jesus' prayers, on the other hand, are filled up with a desire that the world would experience the glory of God. They're they're praying in light of the mission. And so in light of that mission, here's what we're going to see today. Here's kind of our big idea, is that Jesus prays for his disciples to be snug, sanctified, and sent. Snug, sanctified, and sent. Uh, Let's pray, let's ask God's help, and we'll see this in the text. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you, Jesus, that you left glory to take the form of a servant, and that as you died, and as you rose, and as you ascended, that you've been returned to the glory that you had with the Father before the world began. Jesus, we look forward to your return. Until then, would you help us through this text to have a a sense of what your heart is for us? And God, would us hearing eavesdropping in on your prayer, would would that actually motivate us to live out the things you prayed for? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, Jesus wants us to be snug. That's snug with an N, not an M. Jesus does not pray for us to be smug. A lot of us don't need prayers for that. We're that way already. Uh, But Jesus here is praying for us to be snug, that we would be close to the Father, that we would be connected to God himself. You know, Jesus did lots of miracles, and uh, John records these. He records all these different signs that point to the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus did also lots of teaching, and there's lots of places if you have a red letter Bible where you can open the Gospel of John and see these long sections of red as Jesus is teaching. And, and Jesus for sure did these signs and he taught these lessons, but Jesus didn't primarily come to do miracles and to teach, he came to reveal the Father. That's what verse six indicates. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That word manifested means to reveal, uh, to make known. This is what Jesus came to do, was to reveal the father, to make him known and not just make him known in some big distant way, but actually in a close way. And so we looked last week at what Jesus said in verse three, where he said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. Eternal life, I think, shows up somewhere along the lines of 17 times in the Gospel of John. And uh, in almost every case, Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. But here in John 17, 3, he prays, this is eternal life that they would know you. Because Jesus isn't just interested in kind of your cognitive, mental ascent belief. He's interested in a relationship, right? Think about this. We all just finished watching Christmas movies. How good are Christmas movies, Right. And some of you are like, yeah, that's why I watch them all year long. I don't know about that, but, uh, but, but you watch a lot of Christmas movies, maybe, and, and most of the Christmas movies are all trying to get you to do the same thing, to believe in Santa. Right, that's what it's all about. Do you believe in Santa? Do you believe in Santa? Do you believe in Santa? But there's one Christmas movie that really grips our heart because there's a character in it who doesn't just believe in Santa, but he knows him. And some of you know Elf, right? Elf doesn't just believe in Santa, he knows him, right? And when he sees someone impersonating Santa, he's like, You smell like roast beef, right? You're not Santa. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in you just believing in God. The rest of the Bible says, actually, even the demons believe in God. Jesus says, I want you to know him. Do you know him? Because he wants to know you. And listen, he's not looking for your performance. And he's not looking for even your effort. And he's not looking for your good intentions. And he's not looking for your improvement. He's looking for you. He wants to know you. And this is why Jesus came, to reveal the Father and to help you know him. And so now Jesus is praying in verse 11 that he would keep you close. Look at verse 11. He says, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Don't just be connected, but be close. Be snug. Do you ever have those times, especially this time of year, right? I mean, people from other places, they say we don't really have winter, but at night it gets kind of chilly, right? You have those times when, you know, you get under the covers and you're all snuggled up, and then you wake up somewhere in the middle of the night and you're freezing, because you've kind of accidentally kicked off the covers? And you don't remember kicking off the covers. That wasn't part of your you know, sleep game plan. Let me kick off the covers. But you just kind of tend to do that. Here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows is that the tendency because of our unbelief, the tendency because we live in a, in a fallen world, is that we just are going to naturally kind of kick off the covers of God's love. And he's saying, Father, keep, keep those covers on. Stay close. Keep them in your name. Keep them wrapped in your warmth, in your love. Father, keep them snug. That's what Jesus prayed for you. That's what Jesus prayed for me. That's what Jesus prayed for us. He wants us to be close to the warm heart of the Father. Here's the second request Jesus had is that Jesus wants us to be sanctified. Jesus wants us to be sanctified. Now, that's kind of a religious word. That's sort of a churchy word. It's kind of a Bible word. You don't hear that all the time. Here's what the word sanctified means. It means to be holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated. We see it in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that's the same word, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Something that is sanctified is, it's holy, it's consecrated, it's set apart. A couple times a year, uh, in good years, uh, Molly's parents will come and they'll visit us from Ohio, Being and Pappy come to town, and before being and Pappy come to town, we always make a big Costco run. And one of the things that Be and Pappy, and w- when they're here, especially on spring break, we love to stock up on those mega boxes of Cheez-Its, right? And so a couple days before, this is like the special treat when they come, occasionally we'll have Cheez-Its throughout the year, but we kind of save it for when being and Pappy are here. So, so a couple days before they get here, uh, we go to Costco, and, and so for a couple days before they're there, the, the, the Cheez-Its are in the pantry, and the pantry door is often open, and the kids are going, can we have some Cheez-Its? Can we have some Cheez-Its? Can we have some cheez And we go, no, no, no. These Cheez-Its are sanctified. <laughs> they are set apart. They are consecrated. They're being, they're, they're being saved. These are not ordinary Cheez-Its. These are Cheez-Its you eat when being happier here. And so that's what Jesus is praying. He's saying, I want my disciples to not just be looking like everything and everyone else. I want them to be holy, to be righteous, to be obedient, to be set apart. Now, what's interesting, if Jesus wants us to be snug and sanctified and sent, so he's going to talk about our mission to the world, one of the biggest obstacles to our closeness to God and to our effectiveness in our mission to the world is our sin. Our sin keeps us from God, and our sin hinders our witness. And the Bible calls Uh, Sin, the, the language that's actually really interesting throughout, especially the Old Testament scriptures, is that the Bible describes sin as spiritual adultery. It's snuggling up under other blankets. It's giving your heart to other things. And so that makes sense then that if Jesus wants us to be snug and Jesus wants us to be sent, then he must also want us to be sanctified, to be holy, to be obedient, to have a closeness to him through our righteous lives. It was Friedrich Nietzsche who said this, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Well, what makes us holy? Well, according to Jesus, it's the truth. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So this is why we're people of the book, right? We don't read the Bible because reading the Bible makes us holy, right, in some checklist sort of way. Like if you, if you do this, it automatically gets you points with God. But we read the Bible because it makes us holy, <laughs> Because when we believe it and when we trust it and when we apply it and we see it recenter and reorient our lives, it changes us. It makes us set apart, holy, consecrated, righteous. When I was in college, uh, Chris Porter was a staff member with Athletes in Action and he really invested in my life and we would spend time together reading the Bible and, and uh, hanging out and talking about life. And I remember one year he gave me a Bible um, and i already had a bible but he just wanted to give me uh, another one i guess and he wrote in it in the cover on the inside he wrote either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book dusty bibles lead to dirty lives what is he doing he's just echoing john 17:17 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Why do we need the scriptures? Because it realigns our heart. It transforms us by the renewing of our minds that we might be able to live out God's good and pleasing will. It changes our thoughts. It changes our heart. It changes our wants. It changes our lives. Jesus wants us not just to be snug, but to be sanctified. And finally, Jesus wants us to be sent. To be sent. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus prays this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Huh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because wouldn't you think that if he just prayed that we would be sanctified, that we'd be set apart, that we'd be kind of sitting on the shelf, that maybe what sanctified would mean is that we're just sort of being saved for heaven someday. And the goal here is just don't get anywhere near the world because they might contaminate you. But that's not what Jesus prays in verse 15. He says, I actually want them to go into the world. I don't want you to take them out of the world and just keep them on the shelf. But what I want you to do is keep them from the evil one. Here's what he's saying. He's saying Jesus wants his people in the world without having the world in his people. That's what he wants. He wants us to go into the world with the love of Jesus, with the good news of Jesus, with the hope of Jesus, and yet somehow not let that contaminate our hearts where we get caught up in loving all the same things the world loves. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, he says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus was sent into the world. He's saying, in the same way that I was sent, I'm now sending them. And this word sent is an interesting word. The the Greek word for this word sent is apostello. Apostello. Does that sound, to any of you that are more familiar with the Bible, does that sound like another Bible word? Apostello. What does that sound like? It sounds like apostle. And it's the same root word that is where we get the word apostle. So here's what this is saying, is Jesus is saying, as I was apostled into the world, so I'm apostling them into the world. So here's what this is saying. This is saying that we have an apostolic, a sent assignment. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that we have the authority of the apostles, right? The the, the apostles had the authority to write scripture. Uh, we, We don't have that authority. The apostles, it seems like, could just say to someone, rise, take your mat, and walk, and it happened. Right, at best, we go, Lord, would you, please, would you please heal this person? So we don't have the same level of authority, but we have the same kind of calling. The church of Jesus Christ, Redemption Church as a whole, Redemption Gateway as a specific congregation, we have an apostolic assignment. We are being sent by Jesus What does this word apostello mean? It means to dispatch someone for the achievement of some objective. We are sent. We are dispatched. We are missionaries. You sort of go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Me? Yeah, you. Have you thought of this? Who are you sent to? Who are you sent to? Because whoever you're sent to is probably different than who I'm sent to. And even the person next to you. I remember meeting a woman some years ago, and I asked her, I said, hey, what do you, you know, tell me about your job, what do you do? And she said, well, I am a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a Dillard's clerk. <laughs> and I thought, that is a woman who gets it. She's waking up every day going, I'm a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as an elementary school teacher. I'm a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a nurse, I'm a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a stay-at-home mom. I'm a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a pickleball player. I'm a missionary of, Je- I'm a missionary of Jesus, cleverly disguised as a pastor. See, some of us, we just think, oh, well, the, the sent people are those like pro-missionary, pro, you know, full-time ministry folks. We pay, we pay for that. We've outsourced that to the pros. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is saying we are sent. And so you might start to hear that and go, oh my goodness. If I'm supposed to be a missionary, if I have and we have an apostolic assignment, man, how do I begin to do that? And so I want to encourage you that over the years, one of the things we found helpful in our church, we actually just celebrated our 13th anniversary as a church, uh, as a local congregation, which is kind of fun. That was last week. And one of the things that we've taught at different points along the way is that our approach to to mission, our approach to evangelism, to sharing the good news, our approach to this apostolic assignment is a three-strand approach. There's three strands to it. The first strand is this, we invest in relationships. You go, how do I be a missionary? Well, you invest in relationships. You get to know people. You understand their story. You understand their background. You understand what makes them tick. You get, think about this. This is revolutionary in our world. You ask questions and then listen. Do you know how few people get asked questions from people who genuinely care? In fact, they might start to go, what's your angle? Because it's so rare. But part of what we do as the sent people of God, just like Jesus, we get to know the people around us. We genuinely know them. Not just in a, well, wait, wait, okay, do I know? Okay, now I can spring Jesus on them. But we actually invest in the relationship. We actually listen, we pay attention, we care, we get to know them. So that's one strand. Maybe one of the ways that you will live as a faithful missionary is really investing in the relationship, knowing the names, knowing the stories of the people around you. Here's a second way, is that we invite into community. We invite into community. We say, hey, listen, I'm not the only person who lives like this. I'm not the only person who follows like this. I think it would be actually great if you would join me at church. I think it'd be great if you would come over to our house for dinner. You know, a few of us are going to get together and have a barbecue. Would you join us? And So it's inviting into whatever kind of community that someone would come to. right? You get to know them, and you figure out what they would do, and then you invite them to whatever that is, because here's what happens. A lot of times people, here's what they need to see. They need to be able to picture themselves as a Christian. They can see how you're a Christian. They can see how someone else is a Christian, but they kind of can't imagine what it would be like for them to be a Christian. Well, that's why you get them involved in a church community like this that's diverse with lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different ages, lots of different stages, lots of different everything. And people start to go, oh, Okay, I could. I think I could see myself as a Christian. And they all started to go, oh, you're not the only weird one. There's other weird people. And it begins to expose them. Oh, wow, here's lots of people that ask questions and listen. Wow, I've never been loved like this. So we invest in relationship. We invite into community. By the way, this is why in the in the seat backs in front of you, in those little pouches, there's those little cards. I meant to grab one before I come up, but you see those cards? Uh, Okay, reach down and grab it. Let's make all of our ushers have to restock this afterward. Uh, here, here's what, the, like, you might be looking at it going. You're invited. You're like, why well, I'm already here. Yes, this isn't for you. This is for you to take. So we have these invite cards, we stock them every week, we try to have them all there all the time, we've got big piles of them back here if you need more, but what we would like you to do is to take those invite cards, and as you invest in those relationships, and as you pray for people, to say, oh, here's somebody I could invite, and here's a simple way that I could invite them. Would you join me at church? Think about this, especially when people are going through transition, when people have new things, when people are new to town, I just think one of the easiest questions you can ask somebody is, hey, have you found a good church yet? And they might go, "Uh, uh, no, right? And you kind of go, oh, they're not really a church person. That's okay. Or, Or you find out, right? And this is not, get this, this isn't just finding the already Christians and saying, boy, you'll really love our version of church. This is finding the people that haven't been found yet. So we invest in relationships, we introduce it to community, and then at some point, somewhere, we introduce Jesus. We've got to talk about Christ. We've got to talk about how we were sinners. We've got to talk about how Jesus has brought purpose and has brought hope and has brought meaning and has brought forgiveness into our lives. We've got to talk about Christ. Does Jesus taste so good to you that you could talk about him in a way that could taste and smell good to others? So that's the three strands. Now here's here's the here's the place where we can all kind of go whew, okay. We most of us are not good at all three. As you think about that, some of you, you're, you're really good at one or you're really good at two. And so what we are is a, not an apostolic individual. We're, an, we're a community with an apostolic assignment. We're a community with a sent assignment. So some of us are really great at the relationship building and the inviting. And then we invite people and say, hey, you got to meet this person. And this person is going to be able to bring Jesus home to them. Others of you, right? Your strength is somewhere else, right? So, so that's how this works. Is we are a sent people. This is what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be snug. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be sent. Now, think about this for a moment. Notice how all these three things work together. How do you go into the world without becoming worldly? Well, you have to stay close to God, you got to stay snug. Because if you're not close to God, the things of the world will will attract your sinful heart. More easily, you'll drift. You'll kick those blankets off. And next thing you'll know, you'll be snuggling up to something else. So we got to stay close to God. But think about this. Well, what drives you to stay close to God? Well, part of what drives you to stay close to God is when you realize I'm sent on a mission that is too big for me. Some of the reason why a lot of us have a hard time staying close to God is because we don't think that life with God is about anything more than our comfort. That's not going to grip your heart. But if you start to go, "Oh my gosh, I've been sent to these people and when I start to get to know them, I realize there's a lot of church hurt there. They have not only like a they don't they have a negative view of the church." And this is the people I've been sent to. And God, would you break through? And God, would you help? And God, would you, would you do something? When you're in that place, now you're going to pray. Now you're going to cling to the word. Now you're going to cling to Jesus. And what motivates you to be obedient? What motivates you to, to resist the temptation that comes into your heart? It's saying, ah, oh, I want to be a good witness here. I want to be close to the Lord here. This is what Jesus wants for us. Isn't it good news? Isn't it kind of nice, actually, that Jesus lifts the curtain? Like some of us go, oh, God, what is your will for me? And I want to just relieve you of that burden today. And I know a lot of times you ask that question, what you mean is I have a specific decision, which which direction should I go? But, But we don't have to guess at God's will for us. We have it right here. What would Jesus pray? Here's what he prayed you'd be snug, you'd be sanctified, and you'd be sent. That's his heart for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending him, for apostling him into our lives to bring good news and to bring forgiveness and to bring hope and to bring healing and to bring purpose. And God, I pray for us as a church family that we would be close to you. God, that you would help us to be in the world, but not of the world. That our allegiance and our transformation would be becoming more like Christ. And that you would use us, as imperfect as we are, to build relationships, to invite people in, to introduce people to Jesus. God, I pray that all of that would be part of how we live out this calling you've given us to be sent. Lord, if there was a Another plan you had for how you were going to reveal yourself to the world, we'd pray for that. But we are the plan A, and there is no plan B. So God, would you help us be close to you? Would you help us to be holy? And would you help us to be bold? We really need your help. But God, we're thankful that you're crazy about us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.